whole pair program and I'm like yeah what maybe if we uh, like change this she's like huh and then like command delete and I'm just I like, really did delete like, everything I, I, didn't, I didn't mean that I'm like, I instantly start explaining, like, I don't know if that's the right move. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Sufei. And I'm David. Thanks for tuning in to a new episode of Neapolitan. First off, we wanted to thank everyone for listening to episode zero. We honestly thought only us and our moms no, would mom. like our tweet. <laughs> my mom would not like it. <laughs> well, my mom would, so that would make three. <laughs> but all the feedback and support was truly amazing. Yes, thank you guys so much. Like, we started this podcast because we knew the Android community was really great. And we're very happy to get all this supportive feedback and everyone showing love. So this, it's really great to see. Yeah, so hopefully it'll go smoother this time around. Yeah. <laughs> and let's get into today's episode. Cool. So joining us today is Derek Santos. Uh, I'm an Android engineer at Uber. I've been there for about five or six months about, uh, and I work on the partner and the Uber Eats apps. Hi, I'm Lee Douglas. I'm also a software engineer at Uber. I work primarily on the Android partner app and the Eats app, just like... Derek and we're on the same team. We actually sit right next to each other, which is pretty great. <laughs> uh, my name is Eric. I am an Android developer at Uber, and I work on Uber Eats and the driver app. Oh, my name is Andres, and I'm a student at City College of New York. Who interned at Uber over the summer, where I worked on the driver app. Uh, we actually all know each other from Coalition for Queens. Um, have you learned or experienced anything at your time at work that has surprised you or the boot camp that you've been through have not taught you? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a good question because, uh, you know, just being new at Uber, uh, obviously, you know, there was a lot of things that I kind of had to pick up. Um, but one thing that kind of stood out to me was that um, being at the boot camp, like, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't really learn uh, why things worked in a sense. Um, you know, I, I guess just being in that kind of environment where you have all these projects on a weekly basis, uh, you know, you're kind of just trying to get to a working product versus actually understanding why it's actually working under the hood, you know. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I kind of, you know, realized once I got in, you know, once I got into the real world or, you know, started working on uh, on the apps at Uber that I was just like, all right, you know, I'm, get, I'm getting it to work, but why is it actually working or, you know, and then that kind of just led into, okay, why is it working? And then how do I make it work better? Especially when you're, you know, working on an app that millions of people touch and also that hundreds of other engineers work on as well. The reason why I wanted to ask this was one of the most surprising things I learned from my first experience mm -hmm. in the real world was how, how much responsibility you take for the code you put out there. Oh, yeah. For example, at my previous job, my first PR, the only comment on it was, oh yeah, it looks great, just push whenever you're ready. And that terrified me because right. nobody's responsible for you anymore. I feel like back in school, like, you know, you had a team who worked on it together, and mm -hmm. but now that you're solely in charge of a feature yeah. that's going out to thousands of people, like if it breaks, it's on you, you mm -hmm. know? So it makes you more careful about what you code and how you code um, and that's something you can only learn in the real world 
Yeah, it's it, like it's interesting you mentioned that because you know you, there's no more like hand holding in a sense, yeah. or like you said, maybe a TA or someone else to kind of look over it. Right. Of course, you do have your team members and all that, but you know you have to make sure you're putting something that's good quality. You know, putting something out there, and you know, obviously, when you're you know when you're in the boot camp, the only people that are really using the app, you know, that you're working yeah. on, it's just you and your friends, you know, yeah. or, or other people in the cohort. Uh, as opposed to now millions of people. Uh, so for sure, you know, I, I, that definitely makes sense as well. Yeah. I think for me, I think the amount of testing and experimentation that goes into building a feature from start to finish, um, it still surprises me every day, like how much work and how many moving parts there are um, between like data scientists, ops people, marketing. Everybody is always asking questions and Things just develop um, in a really interesting way. And in order to make it successful, you have to have all these moving parts working harmoniously together. And if they don't, it will fall apart. But when when they do work together really well, um, you can really make something something great. And, you know, I think before, like, I just I take out my phone, you know, open an app. And I'm like, all right, it works fine, whatever. But now that I'm behind the scenes, I see that there's so much that goes into the smallest of details that... It's pretty crazy. One important thing I learned was that uh, I don't, I don't have to know everything. I don't have to have like a this immense fountain of knowledge in my head. What's most important is like knowing how to think. Knowing how to think about stuff is gonna be the thing that no matter what gets gets me. There. Really, what I got to experience was professional engineers. These are these these black boxes when you when you don't actually know the thing. Um, your imagination plays it up a lot. So you think you're like, I'm going to Uber, so I'm going to deal with these software engineering gods, right? And then I go and like, oh, this guy eats, he eats dumplings. You know what I mean? Or <laughs> it's like, it, it, it's regular people, right? It's very, very intelligent, re- regular people. But uh, everybody has things to figure out themselves. And it's, it's, it's mostly about how good of a problem solver are you in every aspect of your life? Are you a problem solver in every aspect of your life? And uh, that's what I found to be the most important thing. That's what I got from there. Have you experienced any pressure that you felt to succeed in your current role? Like just for some context, like for me, the first couple of days here at Touch Lab, I was very, I felt like, we've talked about this before, felt like a lot of pressure of just like doing as much work as possible and not wanting to like fall behind or like, feel like lazy or something like that so there would be days where uh i would i would wait until like after our you know our big sister ramona ramona harrison leaves and then it's like okay good the day is done now now it's okay to go like ramona's ramona's left like that's a good day's work (laughs) yeah like yeah i feel like a lot of people experience that to just keep your seat warm, to make it seem like you're there mm-hmm. and you're putting your full effort. Mm-hmm. And that shouldn't happen, but it happens to too many people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think, I think for me at least, um, you know, that, David, that definitely, <laughs> I hear that for sure. Um, but for me, at, at least the biggest, like, pressure that I felt um, trying to succeed is just, you know, the whole idea of trying to, or having to prove myself uh, you know, I, I, I didn't study computer science, uh, you know, back in college. I've been programming for pretty much less than a year, you know, or almost a year now. Um, but not even professionally back then, you know, like it was just like, 
hey, you know, write a for loop. Okay, great, you did it. You know, so yeah, thanks, David. Uh, <laughs> so you know, it's kind of like, you know, you have that feeling where you just have to prove yourself because you have people who have been at other tech companies, you know, have worked at previous tech companies, startups, or you know, have gone on to do some, you know, great, amazing things in other places. Um, and then I'm just like here, just getting started, and I'm like, man, why am I not like at that level yet? But it's understandable, you know. I'm trying to compare myself to people who have been in the industry for, you know, ten, you know, five years, you know, even just two years, and it's 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 a challenge, you know. One thing that 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 kind of I keep telling myself is that a lot of the knowledge and wisdom that they have is because you know they've experienced. You know, a lot of broken builds, a lot of bugs, and a lot of troubles, you know, overworking for so many years. And, you know, I just have to tell myself, hey, you're going to get there, but, you know, take it easy. You know, make sure you're putting in the work. Make sure, you know, you're not leaving before your big sisters. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, but no, in all honesty, like, that's one of the things, you know, again, you have people who have worked at Google, who have worked at Facebook before, and that now work at Uber, and it's just like, Holy smokes, you know, I'm in the same room as these people and they're expecting a lot out of me. Um, and I just want to make sure that I'm delivering, of course. And to, to piggyback on that, I think for me, failure, like fear of failure and perfectionism has been a really big struggle for me. Um, I think that I've, I've always done well in most things that I've, I've tried but I've never been able to celebrate the successes because I focus way too much on the failure aspect of it. Um, and I know, like cognitively, I know that when I hit a roadblock, I will get through it. If I stick to it, even if it's hard, even if I fail at it, I will get through it and I will learn something. Um, but still to this day, it's getting better, but to this day I, I struggle with when I hit a roadblock, I'm automatically, I, I feel like I'm an outsider, like I'm not going to get it and it's not going to work out. Um, and that's been a really big challenge for me, especially in the new role that I'm in now. But on top of that, I, I think the support system that I've had from my team at Uber and also from Coalition for Queens, the Android cohort, um, they've seen me, you know, not, I don't, I don't want to say they've seen me at my worst, but they've definitely seen me, you know, fail and, and do well as well. And I think having them and having that good support system has really been a transformative experience for me. I've, I've learned that when I get to that roadblock, it's okay. The world isn't on fire. We'll get through it, you know? Um, yeah. And then I, I love what you just said, because, you know, I, I definitely want to add on that in, in the sense that it's, it's really a mental struggle, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a battle with yourself as opposed to, you know, like having to actually prove yourself or, you know, being so worried about failure, you know, it's all really internal. Um, you know, like Lee said, the team at Uber has been incredibly supportive. Like they're always willing and so able yeah, to just like help out like, Hey, let me know if you have any questions. And I'm just like, all right, yeah, for sure. And you know, they get it. They definitely understand like we're new to this. Um, so it's, it's, again, it's just that struggle that you have to tell yourself, Hey, you know, it's going to be all right. You're going to get through this bug. You're going to get through this feature. Um, you know, and, and trust me, people are giving you praise, you know, just accept it, you know, make sure to celebrate your successes. For sure. You know, for yeah, sure. it's yeah. really important to remember that, you know, if you're going through it, then somebody on your team has probably gone through it at some point right. in there. Everybody started at the same place as a beginner. Yeah. Um, 
So just have to remember that and push through that that fear. Right. Yeah. I definitely understand the motivation within yourself to prove mm-hmm. that you could do this because you know you got this job now you have to show that you can do it. Right. Um, I'm also wondering if you guys experience any external pushes that motivates you. For me personally, like I've had men on my team who, you know, try to mansplain something to me. And Mm -hmm. even though like there might be a concept I don't understand, uh, they go very deep, like to the bone about this specific topic. And to me, like to sit there and listen to it, it just seems like they they don't think I know anything, you know, and mm-hmm. that also motivates me to want to prove myself to everybody. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, have you guys experienced something like that, like external pressure? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say external pressure, you know, anything close to probably what you experienced, but I think, I think just maybe in general, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know that many people that, uh, or sorry, that many like Latinos that, have been in tech, maybe I just yeah haven't been exposed to, you know, the industry or people in the industry for that long. Um, so you know, kind of being in there as you know a Latino and then just being like, all right, you know, hopefully, hopefully I fit in and hopefully uh, you know I can make it here. Um, growing up, you know, most most people they were just like pushed towards the typical jobs like be a lawyer, be a doctor. You know, go into finance or whatever the case is, and yeah, right, exactly, make that money and stuff. And you know, I, I, I just, I was just always like, all right, maybe I, I never had, I never thought about tech before, uh, working in the industry. But then finally, when you know, I got accepted to Coalition for Queens, and then you know, I, I saw that I was rising to the top there, or you know, just putting out, you know, what people consider to be pretty good projects and code and all that stuff. And then finally, getting the internship uh, at Uber and all that, like it was just like, wow, all right. Maybe I do fit in here, or maybe you know, just I I, I will find my place here. Um, so it again, I I think I feel like it also just goes back to that mental, you know, still kind of like maybe an external, but more like social pressure. Right. Maybe you're just like, oh, okay, you know, you don't see that many people, many Latinos here in the industry, so yeah. maybe it's not for you, or maybe it is for you. Hopefully, it is. You know. Yeah. Okay. I, oh, oh yeah. Go oh, I was just gonna say, I, I you know. I feel like I'm very young in this, you know, industry. I've been mm-hmm. at Uber for six months. Um, it's the only job I've ever had in tech. And I've been very fortunate to not have have experienced anything similar to that. Um, I think everybody that we work with um, has been fantastic to work with. I think, in general, societal pressures for women and for black women especially, and especially in tech, um, you have to prove yourself. Everybody knows that you have to prove yourself. You have to be better than everybody else to get the same accolades. And I think keeping that in mind, I think that also ties back into, you know, the fear of failure thing, this perfectionist thing. If you don't do it right, then you're going to be considered less than, um, even more so uh, than the next person because I'm, you know, I'm an outlier. There's not a lot of black women in tech. Um, So carrying that torch is can be difficult sometimes but it's totally worth it and great (laughs) and i've been so but i've just i've been really lucky that the people that i've been exposed to so far in the tech industry have been nothing but supportive um towards me completely agree yeah Yeah. it's it's like 
I completely get what you guys are saying. And it's just so funny seeing you guys in class, like just, you guys are really smart. Like you guys are very <laughs> smart. Yeah. So like you. we'd be explaining something to you all and you guys, ah, I don't get it. Like I get this, 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 and this. But I just, I just don't get it. And it's like, you understand all of it. Like you're, you're there. Like it's, it's such a mental thing of like, even though I get this one thing, I feel like I'm missing something. It's like this, this feeling of like, I understand this much, but I must be incomplete in some way. And it's like getting over that mental barrier of just saying like, I know what I know and I'm going to go with that. I don't have to be perfect or you don't have to think about everything in the world. Yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes you might have all the answers, but it's like, it's like, you don't have to concern yourself about what you don't know. Like you don't have to define yourself, but I don't know everything. It's right. Like, this is what I do now and I'm going to work to this. Right. Yeah. I like that. That That's very well put. Again, it's just comparing yourself to people who have been in the industry for so long. So yeah. it's just like, man, I don't know as much as they do. Yeah. Well, it makes sense because you've only been doing this for a year. Yeah. yeah. About, you know. Major imposter syndrome. Yes. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. I know there's a tent, but one thing I can say about my past experience <laughs> that has helped uh, when, like, I think when I'm teeing, I'm teeing, volunteering at the C4Q, whatever, this new this new cohort, and they, like, complain about, like, oh, man, I got to do fine review by ID for all, for all my views. And I'm like, Okay. Like you're complaining about that, like when, when like my I used to work with my dad, and my dad used to work. I used to watch. I used to work like that too. I used to watch him work because I was falling. My dad would work till he collapses, like literally. Like he'll just he'll be moving cinder blocks and he'll just stop and go to sleep. Like, like it, we 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 work like like dogs. So like I went from that type of job working like that with my pops, and then to like lifeguarding, which is like um they have this thing where they haze new lifeguards, and the hazing is you sit in the chair. For the full time, the full eight hours instead of switching, and they feed you breakfast and lunch. So I went from like working, moving cinder blocks, to like collapse. I watched my dad do the same thing to sitting in a chair getting fed, to sitting in front of a computer typing. You know what I mean? So it's like the the experience I can pull on when I get like I get stuck at first time. Like I'm I'm a very amicable and happy person because I know what what the physical what the physical world is like. And so that, that, that is something I think that makes me more, uh, more strong as a developer. It gives me resistance and fortitude. That's helpful. So um, I would say one of the interesting challenges of like, trying to be a mentor and also official, like, formally being in a mentor position is uh, balancing the act of trying to not have your existing productivity slip while still properly uh, helping your mentee and uh, properly like being a uh, a good resource that helps them grow. So the worst thing you want to do is um, just focus on your output and not providing a good avenue to actually like pay attention and grow others into uh, also succeeding as well. And so. Um, that was a big shift in focus. I mean, that also played a role when I was teaching at C4Q as well, which is um, not just channeling all my energy towards how much am I producing, but rather changing your mindset to think, um, am I like preparing others to also succeed and like go forward and not have to always lean on me to output work? Mm -hmm. And sort of that's like being a multiplier is this, is this constant um, like 
role and factor that I've been thinking about now as you get more and more senior, which is it's no longer about how much can you as a single individual produce, but what value are you giving to others to help them produce even faster? And being this role of a multiplier is definitely one of the more recent challenges that I have to deal with. And I mean, that sounds like a confidence booster too, because there's a lot of like randomness that might take place in life. But if you can recreate a product over and over again, like a successful engineer, okay, I did something right. This wasn't just necessarily by chance. I have a good amount of knowledge on how to get things done. I know um, this came up a lot when I was teaching, but I also did it for myself as well. Um, there was just uh, like having to explain concepts and break things down. Uh, either reinforced my understanding of it myself, or it also forced me to think in terms of how can I break down a particularly complex subject? And I like to use analogies a lot. And so mm. it was like, how do I come up with an analogy that someone can relate to and start to build a mental connection between something they're already familiar with yes. to sort of an abstract uh, concept that they've never encountered before? Yeah. Yeah, I also think the same. Like, being able to also, with coming up with analogies, it's being able to come up with one that like sufficiently covers yeah. the bases you're trying to talk about. Yeah. Where like it's sort of like the knowledge that they already have of the analogy can let them explore like the outer edges of what they think yeah. should be there. So like yes. one thing for me is when I was giving examples of like inheritance versus versus like uh, implementations. So it's it was just like animals and then you have traits of like flying for an interface or something like that yeah. and then from there on out you sort of you can sort of reach out and see okay if it's if it's like the animal kingdom and like traits and stuff yeah, like there that, should be this then yeah it's it you bring it you bring understanding that you have from other places to that and you're able to just explore more and you can reach out further because now you have something to model off of and say okay if it's like this then it should work in this way have you read the good parable no, I actually checked out that, that article. Is so good. It makes like the make you make get like a story, and you and then the get just makes sense. And so you expect like it would make sense to be able to go back to a different commit after reading the get parable. I said, like, so I can go back to a different version of this, right? You go, yeah, you can. This is how you do it in Git. Really good article. Interesting. I'll have to check it out. Like there have been so many times where I think we've talked about this too, where it's it's just like. I wish someone would explain it exactly the way that got me to fully understand this. Like, yeah. like I wish someone broke it down the way that I now break it down myself. Yeah. And hopefully that helps someone else along the way to tell them just like, mm-hmm. here are the four steps you really have to care about. Yeah. There's ten, but four of them really matter. Yeah. Honestly, that's what, actually one of my struggles, which is like, when coming up with analogies, sometimes I do this terrible thing where I'll stop mid-analogy just because I'll realize that it's technically not true in 100% of the cases. Uh-huh. And I have to realize that that's not the point of the analogy. Yeah. The point of the analogy is to like get them 60%, 70% of the way through to yeah. just start. It's supposed to be like a starting point to understanding. It's not meant to be an exact, perfect, one-to-one yep. analogy that fits in every case. And so I have this terrible habit of like trying to explain something. You can analogy and all of a sudden I stop because mentally like the way I think, like I sort of jump like three steps ahead of where my words come out. Mm-hmm. And so... Mentally, I know something's wrong. I haven't put it into words yet. Mentally, I know it's wrong, and then it's terrible. Like it ends up ruining the explanation altogether because I start to strive for correctness yeah. rather than like understandability, and they're actually not necessarily like the same thing. 
Yeah. My math professor, like my probability probability and statistics professor, he'll he'll say like he'll go like this is this is wrong, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is true right now. But it'll, it'll just that, that's how that's how like even that I go. I'm gonna tell you something that's a lie. Yeah. But uh, here we go, yeah. and that's it. So you, you need it to get you some part of the way, so yeah. that you can have something to work with, so that yeah. you can figure out the things yeah. that are technically not correct with that, yeah. from a point of already understanding something. And that's when you try and digest it all at once, it's sort of like yeah. I can't. It's actually hilarious because I feel like that's actually what's wrong with JavaDoc. Like all JavaDoc of like most APIs I read, they strive so hard for correctness yeah. that it's virtually useless for reading in order to actually understand it. I guess it's like it's like useful if you know ninety percent of it and you're like looking for like whether they specifically address this like weird side effect or edge case that you're not like you're not sure how it will behave. But for understanding things, I feel like JavaDuck has been the worst possible way of learning. Like, what's something that you feel has helped you grow as an engineer over your career thus far? Um, I would say, like, and. This is very soundbitey if you've ever talked, if anyone's ever asked me, like, what are, like, some really, like, interesting things that you've done that, like, really helped you level up as an engineer. Um, reading other people's code. Like, if you're just reading your own code, like, and if your own code's bad, <laughs> you're just going to learn how to read bad code, right? Um, learning how to read good code is actually a very interesting skill that actually, there's a lot of professional engineers who are still not great at that. Um, and I would say... Especially as someone who was very stubborn about going back to school or wanting to go back to school for it, you have no other source of truth of what good code looks like unless you're reading other people's code. And so the whole point of like, um, like I would say most of my own sort of quote unquote education was actually pulling up open source libraries that I felt were sort of industry tested because if you're pushing up open source code and a lot of people are using it, it's going to have a lot of eyes and attention on it. And so, um, whatever is there in master must mean it's been vetted by the community as this is the correct way to do it, or this is an acceptable way of doing it. And so, when you see how something's implemented, you start reading over it and you start wondering, why do they do it this way? Um, you may not understand upfront, but you start to like, fake it till you make it and sort of look at your code and look at how they did you try to look at some of the basic things that like you think you would have done a different way, and you, and you ask yourself, oh, why do they do it this way? Um, and you start trying to close the gap between why, does, why doesn't my code look like it was written by the guy who wrote this library? Yeah. And learning to read good code is actually probably the most valuable skill that I, that I feel like I had as someone who's trying to level up my skill level. That actually reminds me of something we've mentioned before, I yeah. think, where you... You said that you're a very thorough code reviewer. So what is what does that entail? <laughs> um, so it's funny. Like I think the the elephant in the room in with like code review is like if it's like ten lines of code, you just ignore it. Like uh, ten lines of code, you you comment all over it because it's like ten lines. But if it's like five hundred lines, you say eh, ship it. It's fine. <laughs> and so like uh, the idea is if when you're requesting code review and you are like sending out huge chunks of code for people to look at, it's just hard for reviewers to actually give correct like feedback. Um, but I also use it as a learning opportunity because whenever I get code review, like whenever I get code to review, um, I, I mean, it would be it would be a lie to say that I pour over every single line and say like, oh, I'm the perfect code reviewer. Anytime I get code assigned to me, I will pour over every line of it. However, I would say in a more mentorship role. 
I would say I pour over it not because I'm worried about shipping bad code to production, but I, it, I would be doing a disservice to the person writing the code if I didn't find mistakes that they can learn from. And the whole point is to turn it into a teaching opportunity, especially if I can think of a better way of doing it. And that's why you always put Eric on the code review all the time. Uh, it's, it's good and bad because you develop a reputation of uh, putting useful comments and then now everyone comes to you and then you spend 30, like 80% of your day reading other people's code. And you're like, well, and being I'm not shipping. I'm being not vilified shipping. for not yeah. doing it fast enough too. There's that. Can you read my code? <laughs> Just, no. Oh. When I sent you 100 lines once, like, like a calculator, it was like a really like calculator. Was like you said you were, you were offering code reviews to any student at CQ and I sent you my calculator with that did the parentheses and all the stuff that did okay. PEMDAS and you were like, this, this is way too long. I'm not, I thought you were going to send me like a small class file. I forgot. Oh yeah, yeah, So like, readability <laughs> as well. Like, oh, that's actually one of the interesting things, which is like, um, you get to a point where as a student or when you're just trying to get things to work, you like write stuff and then in your mind, it's like, okay, it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're, just, you're sort of satisfied and you're done from there. Um, you definitely hit the next level when you start worrying about maintainability and worrying about, well, is this prepared to handle this scenario or that scenario? Or like, what, what if this scenario doesn't work? Like, and I need to fix it. How would I like jump in and do that? And these are problems that sort of are things you definitely want to address uh, early on because naturally you move on from projects. And so you shift from project to project to project. But if you, if, the feature or code you wrote was of any value, uh, it'll probably need iteration and fixes over time. And the last thing you want is you being asked, hey, can you look over this calculator feature? We want to add something new. And you're like, I wrote this crazy ass. No, it would have been fine. It would have been fine. I wrote this crazy ass <laughs> for loop. I have all these like weird regex and like parentheses things. I, it would take me three days to ramp up to understand the algorithm that I wrote and then make the fixes. Like this is like, this is wasted time. It's costly. So like not putting in the work upfront, especially at the time where you actually understand the state of the world and to break it apart so that your future you thanks you so you can come back and make tweaks and changes and updates easily. Um, that's, I would say like sort of, that's, that's like a distinct like level up difference. Make sure your future you thanks you. Yeah. That's a good one. I, I would yeah. like to amend, add to the answer that the first question you asked about what did I learn at Uber? That's, that's, that, that, that's also another major thing is uh, developing code basically for other developers or having a workflow that benefits other developers. So before, like, I would, I would get, like, a feature. I think my first feature, I'd try to do it, like, all in one commitment. You know, that's what I was used to. I mean, I wasn't necessarily used to that 100%, but I was like, you know, here, here's the feature. You want it, right? And being considerate that a developer doesn't want to look at 50 lines, have to pull, a, have to, have to pull down your pull request, run it through the, you know, sending small, small commits up and, like, hey, this is, like, a feature for, like, I'm, I'm going to place it in this class. And they can be more in-depth and more critical of, of the changes you're making. Say, so, okay, if you put a feature flag here, let's think about the placement right now. Let's all have a big discussion on what the placement, is this the right placement of this feature? Instead of having implemented the whole feature there yeah. and it had to be a thousand lines and then you, they miss that. They have to miss it because it's so much work to do. It's, it's like inconsiderate. Yes. So just being considerate of my workflow. That, that was a big thing I learned too. I would actually say a lot of engineering isn't even like getting it to work. It's like, can it be maintained? Um, and... 
sort of understanding the correct way to do it rather than just getting it to work. Getting it to work is actually the easy part uh, and for the most part. Um, another realization I would say in terms of like when you work in the industry is like um, you, will, you will almost be guaranteed to jump into features that you didn't write that someone else wrote and uh, they don't necessarily still have to be at the company and yet the code still needs to be maintained, right? And so you won't have the, like learning to read code will help you because this isn't something you can look, you can't look up this feature in Stack Overflow because no one else wrote, like it's not public. And so uh, being able to read what other people wrote is really beneficial because sometimes that's literally gonna be your job. You're gonna jump into code that someone else wrote, they're no longer on the team or they're no longer within the company. So um, you're just on your own. And that, at the same time, that uh, goes with writing code correctly the first time, which is you people will thank you when like you switch teams and like someone else can jump in and make changes easily, knowing that you you know modularize everything in the right place and you set things up so that the things that you expect to be tweaked can be easily tweaked and isolated. You remember those people, and I and when you talk about reading good code or reading bad code, yeah, it's like also important to take those lessons. When you're reading bad code. Okay, I never want to do this. What, what is it that I don't like about this? Let me never do that. What contributions are you most proud of? So over the summer, uh, I got my first project. It was working in the partner app on the contact page, just making some feature updates to make it run better. Um, and that's just for some context. That's where the driver partner can go and contact the restaurant if there's an issue or they can contact the person who placed the order if there's an issue. Um, and it turns out that my feature, the work that I did on my feature raised another bug that was causing the text messaging button to completely disappear. So that was an investigation and we, we actually found out about this because two hearing impaired partners contacted support and they were like, we can't talk to anybody we can't do the voice option we can't call them we have to text message and this button's been gone for a month and so thankfully it was an easy fix um but it was just like a, a moment that was oh it was a moment for me that was um like I, I realized that my code was had like a direct effect on people's lives and their livelihood um and it was pretty crazy for me <laughs> uh so that was i think for me so far that's been my favorite con contribution, my biggest contribution. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. So for me, um, one of the, one of the larger projects that I worked on in summer was that, uh, we had to kind of, uh, it was tasked with refactoring, um, uh, this one screen where it shows all of the, uh, deliveries and, uh, sorry, the pickups and the drop-offs for the, the, the partner. Uh, so, you know, it was, there was this weird thing and it wasn't really intuitive where um, if a person or if two people ordered from the same restaurant, um, you could batch that trip, you know, you could batch that order. Uh, however, for our delivery partners, they wouldn't see that. They would see two individual pickup cards. So, you know, just again, intuitively, that didn't really make sense. You, you would expect to only see one with maybe two orders or pick up here for two orders or whatever. So uh, that was one of the major projects that I was given while working there. Um, and it was, I mean, it was really, <laughs> I was really nervous when I was given this because I, I again, like Lee said, you know, it's new, you know, you're trying to impress already. Um, but, 
you know, I just kind of had to take a step back. Thankfully, my intern manager, he was like, hey, you know, don't worry, you, you, you'll be able to do this. Just kind of break it down into smaller problems. So that's what I started doing. I started breaking it down and then I worked towards uh, just uh, implementing an MVP, have something working just so I can see a proof of concept. And from there, I'm like, all right, I kind of made this in a hacky way, but at least I know it works or like the logic is right. So that makes sense. From there, it's just kind of breaking up into breaking it up into smaller and smaller tasks to finally be able to, you know, start landing code or you know start merging code in and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean that was that was the biggest thing, um, just having to refactor that and making sure that our delivery partners they were able to see one pickup card um, for a batch trip or a batch order versus seeing two. Um, and then as far as just how I felt afterwards. I mean, it was, it was pretty crazy. Again, it was like my first major feature. So I was like, all right, you know, I know this is going to go out into the wild. Someone's going to see this. And then, you know, after several weeks and all that, I started kind of seeing like, oh yeah, this, you know, this many people saw the screen or this, you know, this many people uh, were exposed to, uh, to, to the batch orders, to the batch pickup. And I'm like, man, this is really, really crazy. You know, I worked on this, you know, people's lives are, you know, affected by this because as opposed to seeing two pickup cards and you're like, oh, you know, now I got to go to the next spot. But then you realize, oh, wait, it was back there. So now you got to go back, you know, people are just like, all right, two pickups, got to pick them up here. And that's it. Obviously, it sounds like it's a small change and probably it is a minor change that the delivery partners won't really, you know, notice or care about that much or whatever. But if you really think about it, it saves a person a headache. Or it saves a person, you know, some extra time off of the delivery or saves an, an eater from, you know, having to get their food a little bit later. You know, just really changing the world, you know. Being <laughs> <laughs> able to see the impact of, of the work you do. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, essentially that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You know, you get to see the impact and almost immediately or, you know, what, two weeks later or something. Yeah. But, you know. It seems like such a small detail, but mm -hmm. like, the, like you said, the driver partner using it might not even notice mm -hmm. but that intricate detail that you had to think of yeah. does make their life easier without them knowing absolutely yeah that's amazing if i could just help like a few people <laughs> even subconsciously have a better day or have an easier time doing their job that's fine with me yeah yeah so. Awesome. Save good job world. guys <laughs> <laughs> one text message button at a time <laughs> Yes. Uh, on my end, I mean, it's going to sound kind of cheesy, but I think um, the work that I did at C4Q, being able to survive and teach uh, the entire time of the program, or rather I joined around like the two-month mark, um, and actually seeing people grow over time, and like, I could tell, like, this is a, like, a rare opportunity, which is to watch people who have no idea what they're doing and are just completely like floundering and lost and feeling like they will never make it. And watching them grow and develop that confidence over time and getting that sense that you can tell that things are actually starting to make sense to them, that's a really rare thing that you can actually witness as an outsider. Especially when you're like sort of you you sort of understand it and like you can see them actually like change over time. Uh, that's and I was like, wow, there's not I don't think there's something I could write code wise that could have this sort of level of impact that's like that life changing. Um, and definitely when you start noticing like, wow, the, I can tell by the way you're thinking and how you've, you know, picked up this material that you definitely have a uh, career in computer science. 
and it's like programs like C4Q and just boot camps in general, which sort of tap into this um, unknown market where these are people who, without these kind of boot camps, would have never been able to find their way into tech. Yeah. And it's like, think about the number of people that had this innate understanding, this innate talent in technology, who just simply never had the opportunity to sort of get introduced to it, mm-hmm. and were would have been forced to sort of live with whatever decision they they made when they went to college and what they majored in or whatever jobs they took, right? So um, boot camps and just programs like C4Q like offer options to people who are uh, not necessarily in school anymore, mm-hmm. and that is like one of the the best contributions I feel like I've made personally. From a technical standpoint, um, one of the things I really enjoyed making at work was um, getting the opportunity to build a uh, universal tooltip framework that uh, there's a big focus on um, not making anything wasteful, uh, managing its own state, and also just the sort of ease of use API where uh, for the most part the idea was to be able to bring any legacy app or legacy feature and screen to uh, all you would simply have to do is point to whatever view you want to bind a tooltip to and it will automatically manage where that tooltip should live in space and no other real management is necessary. And it, it, was, uh, it was intended to be a magical experience for a developer to just sort of jump in and plug and play. The idea being like the, the, the feeling you wanted to go for was it's just an API that you just plug it in and it just works, right? The idea is like, I have this view and I want to tooltip on it. I just want it to work. I don't want to think about like anything else. And that's really what I was going for and I was really happy with the output because it ultimately became uh, extracted from the driver app and then uh, now it's being used across the rider app as well. Okay, we're gonna pull um, a question from episode zero. That's David's favorite question. Uh, if you could give a shout out to anybody in our community, this is your time to do it. So take advantage. That totally caught me off guard. I was, <laughs> I was like, what? Are you taking questions from the fans? <laughs> Someone in the audience. <laughs> you, sir. Yeah, so I, uh, I definitely want to give a special shout out to uh, all of my Uber teammates. Uh, they've been extremely helpful uh, throughout my time there. Uh, as well as very, very patient, so I really appreciate that. Um, and also want to give a very special thank you to uh, Eric and Arun uh, just for taking a chance on me and you know believing in me, uh, giving me the opportunity to work there at Uber. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely a big shout out to the team. Of course, you know, to you guys. You guys I knew it. Yeah, no, I knew it. You're already on the podcast. <laughs> We're sweetening things. Like, Listen, he's no, trying seriously. to get a uh, co-host. <laughs> no, no, no. No, definitely want to give, seriously, I want to give a special shout out to you guys. Uh, Sufe, obviously, you led the way in 2.0 cohort. And then David helped me out through some very, very tough times uh, back yeah, in the program. Yeah, very tough. Yeah. Um, and just what you guys are doing is absolutely awesome. Uh, definitely giving a voice to those in the community, especially people who uh, don't come from traditional backgrounds, whether it be from CS, from these major schools, or, you know, just at all, people that look like us, of course. Uh, so very, very special shout out to you guys. Congratulations on starting this for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, I guess it's my turn. Um, I'd also like to give a shout out to the team at Uber. 
Um, you guys are great. You've been um, super supportive and uh, have really changed uh, my life in very positive, positive ways. I really need to give a shout out to my mentor, Jeff Hu. That guy is awesome. <laughs> He's been with me since day one and he has been so, so integral to my success in my new role as an Android uh, developer. He, I, I can't, I cannot thank him enough. He's just been super great the whole time. And, and when I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, he always sees it. Um, he's just, he's great. And just to, you know, the Android cohort uh, 3.0 from C4Q, y'all, y'all, y'all great. <laughs> shout out to y'all. Um, and yeah. And yeah, definitely want to also give a shout out to my mentors, um, you know, to uh, Bob Inslee, uh, Eric Butler, and Will Vanderhoff. Uh, they've been very patient with me, super awesome, um, you know, and definitely have been able to <laughs> really take the time to explain some of the things that I just don't understand yet. Uh, it's incredibly helpful, man, for sure. I appreciate all you guys. Thanks. Uh, well, shout out to Eric. Eric was definitely instrumental in everywhere that I am right now. So I appreciate that. I accept that shout out. <laughs> it, I don't know. Can you shout? Like I don't know what the et- shout out etiquette is like. Can you can you shout out someone who's literally in front of you? It's weird. Like I'm right here. Like shout out. It just happened. Like, First off, it's a podcast, so I don't yeah. know. I don't know where you're at. But this is the this, we might be breaking new ground here. We're just shouting out someone in front of you. It's just like you don't have to shout. I'm right here, right? So. Cuter than on stage. You shout out. They point at the person. Yeah. Uh, I mean, everybody at Uber. I should say. Uh, not for real. The New York City office I was in was like, I, I, I've never liked so many people in one place. Even though I'm very jolly and social, like, I don't like a lot of people. And I, I like a lot of people. I was like, wow, I, 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 like, I like this person too. I was like, this is weird. This is not, this is not me. Any <laughs> better singers. I need to yeah. raise the bar. <laughs> exactly. I'm usually happy and jolly. But, so that, it, it was a really great experience. Actually, I would like to shout out to Arun and Brady, Arun. my managers shout out to Arun. Uh, at Uber, because uh, without them, none of the C4Q students would be at or even have had a chance to be at Uber right now. The timing just worked out perfect because we had never had an internship program in the New York City office before, and they were super supportive about my volunteering and teaching efforts at C4Q, and they were the ones, I would say in all honesty, who um, pushed me to try and get interns through the door. Arun and Brady, like, I just felt like, I felt like I was an engineer there, you know what I mean? I never felt like uh, I was being handled, I was just an engineer there, and I really appreciate that. They really, they really respect me. And they give me a lot of love and advice. Uh, Jared has been very helpful. I mean, everybody, all, all the teachers here, Jared, Jared definitely went above and beyond as a TA. Ramona. Shout out to Ramona. Shout out to JJ. You know, uh, JJ had us do a lot of tests where we did like recycle reviews. Uh, and uh, he got prepared to interview for jobs, which I think was his job. And he did the hell out of that job. Uh, yeah. Shout out to David. David was also TA. He's right here. That's it for this episode of Neapolitan. As always, if you have any thoughts or comments, you can reach us at NeapolitanPod on Twitter. Also, if you have any tips, like any way we can do anything better or any information you just want to share with us, like please send that to us. That's great. We, we read all of it because there's not much. Don't say that. <laughs>